Hey everyone, my name is Greg. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have an amazing service planned for you. We have Brian and we have Anne and we have Megan who are going to lead us in some amazing music today. We also have our lead pastor, Patrick Holden, who will be giving a message, the first in a series that we're calling Crave. Hey, and we thank you too for sharing our content online, whether it's through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, you really are a part of sharing our message of hope, not just in the region here, but actually around the world. Well, we are just about getting started. You are really in for a treat. And again, thanks for being here, and let's get going. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. Hey, my name is Greg, and I um, am privileged to be on staff here at Kensington Traverse City. We are really glad that you are here today. And if it's your first time, uh, extra special welcome. This is a safe place to explore your faith. And, and if it's your first time, uh, I'd love you to even pull out your phone, because what you can do there, if you're interested in taking that next step, you can go to startingpoint.today. That's startingpoint.today. You fill out a couple questions, and it'll get that ball rolling about how uh, can I get to know more about what's going on here, whether it's if you have kids and you want them involved in our awesome kids' environments or teens or looking to get a part of a small group. That's a great place to go, startingpoint.today. Well, we have an amazing service planned for you. The band is going to lead us in some incredible music. And our lead pastor, Patrick Holden, will be giving a message uh, in the first of a series we're entitling Crave. So we'll be together for about 70 minutes, and then um, we'll get you out here into that snowy wonderland that we live in here in northern Michigan. So one other note for the day is that today's service has a rating of PG-12. And what we mean by that is there's some content going to be shared in a video later in the service that may not be suitable for children elementary age or for 12 and under. So if you have a child here today, we've got some great environments for them going on. You can head back out into the lobby and our greeters will be very happy to show you where um, elementary kids and even a great teen um, environment is there as well. So uh, a couple things before we get started. You found this on your seat or next to your seat. If you want to pull that out, and it says on the card, it says, 90 of your neighbors won't risk their lives sleeping outside this winter because of you. And then it has a Safe Harbor logo. And if you're new to this place or maybe new to Traverse City, you might not know what Safe Harbor is. Safe Harbor is a, a ministry uh, that partners with local churches that provides shelter for people without homes during the coldest months of the year. And man, we are in a cold snap. And so this has been a lifesend, literally, to people in our community. And now what we're talking about uh, is that we're going to be asking our people to sign up to help. The amazing thing about Safe Harbor is that it's completely volunteer run. There is no paid staff. They have an amazing facility, open brand new actually this year. But what we're asking our church is that to partner with us because we need around 150 people to make the week that is our church is covering to make it happen. And that's February 10th 
through the 17th. So the way to be involved is actually you can go to gtsafeharbor.org slash sign up. Or even better than that, you can go and talk to Jamie, who's going to be in the lobby right after the service. She'd love you to get, uh, love to get you more information and get you signed up to help during that week. And if you want to pull out this, uh, the program that was handed to you, there's a couple things on there that I'd love to put on your radar. The first one is the men's breakfast coming on January 27th. Now, if you're a guy and you love breakfast and you love bacon, then this is the environment for you. But really, if you're not involved in the men's ministry, um, this is a great first step. You can come and get to know some of the great guys that are part of our men's ministry. And also, there's going to be a speaker, a presenter that day, and it's just going to be an awesome time together. So I invite you to be part on January 27th. And then the third thing was actually uh, just to look, we have a whole list here on your program of ministry classes that are all launching this month. So our, our men's ministry, our women's ministry, a couple of things to highlight is actually our Money Mondays, we're calling it. So if you've ever get, been through the Financial Peace University, you know what that is. If you don't know what that is and you're like, this year I really want a handle on my finances, this is a great opportunity for you to come and talk and get some support on making wiser decisions in this this coming year about your money. And also, uh, we have a Bible basics class that's going to be starting here soon. If you're wanting to, to learn more about what the Bible says about your life or just you want to dive deeper into God's Word, this is a great opportunity for you. So if you're interested in any of these classes, I encourage you to go out and talk to Starting Point, and they will get you connected to the right people where you can get information there. Well, I'd love everyone to stand up, please. Stand up and give a handshake or a high five to those around you and ask them this question. How many inches, or maybe I should say feet of snow, did you have to dig out of this week? I lost count on my, at my house. Right, you guys ready to sing? We got a fun one to open this up with. Let's put those hands together. We're going to sing This Is Living. Waking up and open, there's a reason. All my dreams come alive. Life is for living with you. I made my decision. All right. Sing it out. See the sun. 
together like this. We're going to sing this together. See the sun. Ready? See the sun now bursting through the clouds, black and white. you but right now I feel like it is kind of black and white all around out there right so we'll hope that the sun comes bursting through today in my regular life not being up here serving at Kensington I'm a teacher and I teach out in Leland and we're a very small school out there we're actually a kindergarten through 12th grade all in one building and um, throughout the last probably five to seven years um, our tiny school community has experienced a significant amount of loss. It's one of those situations where in the morning when you come into work, you fear that you're going to get the intercom system telling you, all staff, please report to the library. Um, we've lost four students, various um, incidences, um, drowning, suicide, uh, cancer. Two of our staff members have lost children of their own, one at four months old. Um, and we've lost a staff member as well that was very near and dear to our hearts. And it's at those times um, that I go home and I hug my kids a little tighter. Um, I remember to say I love you more to my family, to my husband. But it's also those times where I don't understand why does that have to happen? The wonderful thing is that we're not meant to understand, as crazy as that sounds. Because God has the big picture in all of this. And this is God's story. And he's the one that sees the end of it all, where we may never know how the ending of certain things that happen to us. So it's in those moments of hurt, those moments of loss and sorrow, even in those moments of guilt, where we don't have to understand God's grace and his love and his mercy. We don't have to understand the big picture or how the story ends. Because God works all things for good. So right now we're going to sing a song about the King of our heart and how he reigns over everything and the part of the song that I love is the mantra over and over of you are good you are good you are good because sometimes that's what you need to say 
in order to get through something. Whether you believe it at the beginning or not, God is good. And in those moments, he's all we have to turn to. So right now, let's sing this out as our declaration today. If you are good, God, you are good. And you're never, ever, ever going to let us down. You'll never turn your back.
Now, if this is your first time and you're like, wow, that was a lot in one song. Here's what I'm going to tell you is uh, at our church, what we believe is that God loves you so much. And we're going to talk about this here in a little bit. But God loves you unconditionally. God is pursuing your heart. And even in the brokenness, even in the suffering, even in the parts of the human experience that are very difficult for us, what we believe is that we can find God in all of those places. The life of Jesus models that. The people that follow Jesus closely they modeled that for us. And then for us, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you've done in the past, what you're currently doing, uh, no matter what kind of difficulty your life may be facing, we believe that it's in those moments that we find hope and that hope comes through Jesus. So thanks so much for singing with us. You can go ahead uh, and have a seat. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Patrick and uh, I'm the pastor here. And uh, we're just so thankful you decided uh, to join us today. What I want to do is I want to go ahead and invite our ushers to move forward. Uh, we're going to receive our offering. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much to all of you who give and you're a part of what's happening here. Uh, well, really, when it comes to our church, we're able to do so many things both here locally uh, and then in Michigan as a whole, but really globally as well, because people just like you uh, give and you give sacrificially and, and you're a part of that. So we just want to say thank you so much uh, for doing that. Now, the other thing I want to tell you too is I know Greg mentioned this a few minutes ago, but uh, for us, you know, Giving is a part of being engaged. Giving is a part of, you know, you know, just being a part of what God is doing and, and releasing things in your heart. Uh, the other piece of this is volunteering and, uh, and just really being a part of what God's doing here in our community. And uh, we've said from the day one, since we launched here back in September as Kensington, we said that we wanted to be for Traverse City, that we wanted to be a church uh, that has come together for the city. And one of the ways that we do that uh, is through Safe Harbor. And so I know Greg gave you some details about that. Jamie's going to be out in the lobby today to connect with you. Uh, but here's, here's my goal for our church, and here's what we're hoping for with you, uh, is we're really looking for about 150 volunteers to show up uh, for Safe Harbor this year. And so I would say this, I know a lot of you give, you, you know, you're part of our church that way, but some of you haven't taken that next step to volunteer, and Safe Harbor is a wonderful way to do that. You can do it with you, you can do it as a couple, uh, you can do it as a whole family as well. There's a lot of different areas that you can involve. Uh, but I would just encourage you today, if you want to be a part of that, uh, just to go out to the lobby and uh, let Jamie know, and, uh, and then you can be a part of that coming up. Uh, in February. Now, I also wanted to do one other thing real quick. Uh, so I want to introduce you real quick. This is Megan. Everybody say, hey, Megan. Yeah, she did a great job. Megan is singing with us today for the first time. She's incredible. Uh, so we're so excited to have her. And then I want to introduce you to one other person. Everybody say, hey, Keaton. Yeah, Keaton is also playing guitar. Now, here's what's so cool about Keaton. How old are you again? You were 18. 18 years old, uh, and his glasses are infinitely cooler than mine, but I'm not jealous. I'm past it. Uh, and so I want to tell you a quick story. Keaton has started playing with us. He does a phenomenal job. He actually let us know, like, hey, I, I play guitar, and I know this sounds bad. Don't judge me. When 18-year-olds are like, hey, I play guitar, I'm like, well, okay, you know. And, uh, and so Ryan met with him. I don't know if you know this. He, Ryan filmed a video of Keaton playing and sent it to me. He goes, oh, my gosh. He's incredible and just does a phenomenal job. So we're so excited that he's playing. But part of the reason I want to tell you about Keaton is uh, how many of you have been to one of our render services? Anybody come to render? Yeah. All right. So here's what's fun about render. We did a render service on Christmas Eve, 11 p.m. And uh, Keaton and his family all came and his sister came with her boyfriend. Uh, and then right after uh, the service, because the talk was so good, um, right? He walks out into our parking lot and proposes to Keaton's sister. So Casey and Madison got engaged right after one of our render services. So we're so excited about that. They were with us at the nine o'clock and I totally embarrassed them. They were sitting right where you did and it was fantastic, but we're just so excited uh, about that too. So today what we're doing is we're kicking off a brand new series called Crave and uh, we're going to be talking about like appetites that you have, cravings that we all have uh, in our lives and the benefit of those and then really some of the difficulties that those can bring as well. 
well. And so to get us thinking along those lines, uh, our church actually wrote a song uh, that's connected to what we're going to be doing today. And so I want to invite Andy to come up. Andy's going to be singing this song. I'd love for you to pay attention to the words. They're going to be right back here uh, on the screen. But this is an original song that we wrote that connects to what we're going to be talking about today. Let's watch this. For your attention, I just want to be known. I'd do anything just to be told you're perfect, you're beautiful. I'm striving to be unforgettable. The voice I hear the loudest says you're forgotten. Strive to prove I'm worth it, so I'm not worthless. And I
Now, here's why I love that song so much. Because whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're, you know, 20-something or you're 80-something, whether you're a guy, girl, whether you're CEO or you're an intern, the thing about that song is that it hits deeply at the heart of every single one of us, no matter where we are on any of those spectrums. And the reason that it hits us so hard is because every single one of us, at some point or another, have discovered that we have a craving or we have an appetite for approval. That at some point along the way, whether you're a kindergartner or you're, you know, you're 55 years old, all of us at some point or another crave the approval of somebody else. And the reason that we crave approval is because there's something kind of deeply rooted inside of all of us that is connected to what we're going to talk about today for a few minutes, and that's this. It's all connected to appetites that we have, right? The series is based off the idea that you have appetites or you have desires in your heart and in your life that we're constantly sort of reaching for. Now, just so we're all on the same page, how many of you like have an appetite for chocolate? Anybody have an appetite like all the time? If you're not raising your hand, I'm judging. I do not understand. I'm just kidding. You know, like there's this appetite for chocolate. Now, fellas, let me ask you this. How many of us have an appetite for bacon? Anybody out there bacon lovers? How many of you had bacon this morning? How many of you wish you had bacon this morning? Yeah, I'm with you, right? We have these appetites. And the thing about appetites is that appetites really only know one word. And you know this if you've ever had bacon. It only requires one word, and the one word is this. It wants more, right? So real quick, how many of you have ever had too much bacon? That's right. That's, that's right. You haven't. Because you just don't. The appetites inside of us really only know one word, and the word that they know is more. There's this thing inside of us that's constantly grasping, constantly wanting more. Now, when it comes to food, we know that this is true. But when it comes to the food, and you've experienced this you know, as well when it comes to appetite, we can say this, that appetites will ultimately control us if we don't learn to control them. Now, I've discovered that with chocolate at times, right? There's something where we just understand that if we don't manage our appetites well, if we don't acknowledge the good appetites we have and the negative appetites that we have, then all of a sudden it leads us to a place in our lives where we don't want to be. And so the appetite, obviously, that we're going to be talking about today is this appetite of approval. And I think that's an appetite that, again, all of us have at some point. Now, for me, I didn't really discover this appetite for approval, or at least I didn't put words to it, uh, until I was uh, pretty young. I discovered it in sixth grade, you know, because I was so bad at math. I had a math teacher that I was constantly trying to impress uh, and to, you know, I wanted her approval because I was so bad at it. Uh, But then when I got to high school, my senior year of high school, um, I had the opportunity um, to go to a school that teaches jazz guitar, right? And the way that it works is that uh, about half the time um, that, that I would be in school that day, I would go to regular classes, excuse me, and then the second half, I would get to go to this jazz school. So I'd drive downtown in the middle of like nowhere, and there were about 25 of us that would go to the school, and they taught jazz guitar uh, at, at the school that I was at. Now, what's so interesting about it is I grew up in a musical home. My mom actually made a living teaching people how to play uh, piano by ear, and so I always just grew up around learning how to play music by ear, and so what I would do, this is so bad, I don't recommend this, but I got to the school, and they would, they wanted to teach us how to read sheet music, which I thought that would be a great thing if I could, you know, actually read, you know, sheet music, but I couldn't. So I got several months in uh, to the program, and what I would do is I would memorize the pieces that they would give, and I could hear it enough to actually play it. Uh, and so one day, my professor, he started like, picking up on the fact that I wasn't able to read music very well, and my girlfriend was also in the class. And so the way that this worked is he got really, really, really angry about it. You ever seen like a teacher get really, really angry? And so what he does 
is he calls me up to the front of the class and he removes the piece of paper that I memorized and he gives me a piece of music that I hadn't memorized. And he goes, well, play that. And I was like, you know, I, I, you know, I can't really play that. So he calls my girlfriend up. He said, well, let's just teach you like how to do it. So he wanted to teach me a lesson. So he brings my girlfriend up, gives her a pencil, right? He slows the speed down to a quarter of the speed. And in front of the whole class, he goes, I'm going to have her point to each note at a quarter of the speed. And then you're going to have to sight read that. And I sat there like mortified. And the way that he would do things is he would do things like that to people all the time. And it felt so unhealthy and it felt so weird. And it was like, that's not how it should be. But I remember sitting there with my guitar with my girlfriend pointing note for note. And in my head saying words that I probably shouldn't have been thinking, right? I'm doing all of those kinds of things. I'm so embarrassed, so angry, and I'm doing it. But there was something inside of me that had this like unhealthy desire for his approval. And so for the rest of the year, I would do that. I would constantly like be looking for his approval uh, and trying to get it. Now, that was a really tough thing for me. So that stuck with me. A lot of times when you're uh, in middle school or high school, we talk about that kind of need for approval. But we talk about it in terms of like uh, peer pressure. And you think that once you graduate high school, you don't really have that uh, anymore. Uh, but I experienced that over and over and over again in my life. And one of the times was actually fairly recent. Uh, so again, a lot of you know the story, but I was 27 years old when we felt like God began to nudge us to come to Traverse City, Michigan. And, uh, and so we found out about it. And I've said this before, but we looked at a map to figure out where Traverse City was because I didn't know. And I was like, oh, it's, that's north of Canada. I don't, how does that work? You know, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know that that was there. Uh, and what is Michigan? So we're having this whole conversation. And, uh, and so we decided to come up. And so we brought in all these consultants. Some of you know the story. This place was led, he's actually right over there, by Nick Toomey. It was founded by Nick. He's an amazing leader, an incredible speaker. And Nick, I think I can say this out loud, was about twice my age at the time. Maybe a little bit less, but... Ouch, that hurts. <laughs> but he looks like he's 35, right? That's right. Silver Fox, though. I love it. Yeah. So anyway, so... Uh, and so, and so the, the consultants would come to me and they say, hey, I just want you to know that there are going to be people who, you know, leave the church. I'm like, you know, I'm fairly thick-skinned. There are going to be people who don't like you. I'm like, well, that's, you know, Tuesday. That's just what it is. You know, there are times that we do that, you know. And then they said this. And I thought, so, they said, there are going to be people who don't like you just because you're not Nick. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll be fine. And so what would happen is so when we kind of launched and we started doing things, every once in a while I'd get an email or a phone call or somebody drop a note in there. And, and you know, they'd talk theology, which I actually love talking about. So when people, you know, want to have a theology conversation, I'm like, well, that's great. Let's, let's talk about it. That's what I do for fun. You know, let's do that. So we'd do that sort of thing. None of those bothered me. They really didn't get under my skin. Um, and then about six months into all of this, I, I gave a message one day. And, you know, there are times I'll speak. And I'm like, that went pretty well. That felt good. There are times I'll speak. I'm like... I just wanted to go sleep. You know, it was just not good. Uh, and then there are times where, you know, it's kind of in the middle. So this one, like, I walked off the stage. I felt like that was, like, score. You know, that was a good, that was a good day, you know. I think I made my wife cry that day. I was like, that, that's great. You know, so I felt good. And then I get home to an email. And, you know, this person didn't want to talk theology. They didn't want to talk about anything. What they wanted to talk about, I actually brought them. What they wanted to talk about was my stocks. I'm not kidding. And so let me tell you, the way that this works for me is I, I've always been the guy. I've just been a tube sock and tennis shoe kind of guy. New balances. We talked about that last week. I think we covered that ground. And so I think for me, I just, I wore tube socks that day and they were so angry. So I got this like six paragraph, six, seven paragraph email about why I shouldn't wear tube socks on stage. And I think my wife would probably agree with that, but I just don't like, that's just what I did, you know, and I did this. Now, here's what's so fascinating about that. Out of the emails that we got and the phone calls that we got, the whole deal, Out of all of that, the only one that got under my skin was about my socks. And I've had these since eighth grade. You know, like, 
I've just, like, that's just me. Now, here's what's so fascinating about it. And it's funny because, you know, there's socks and that sort of thing. But, but I remember the week or two after that, every time I'd sit on the stool, because I sit on the stool or whatever, you could see, like, my socks. I would feel, like, a little bit nervous about it, feel a little bit angsty. And then if you fast forward a little bit, we went on a staff retreat. And, uh, and several months into it, Greg Ruby, who you saw earlier, he's our campus director. We're at Walmart one night, which is fun. Our staff just hung out at Walmart on a staff retreat. And he goes, hey, you know what you should do is you need black socks. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll kill you. You know what I mean? Like, I, <clears throat> like what is that? And it's not even about the socks. And I got so upset and angry and frustrated. And like, how are you not going to like my, what's, what's wrong with my socks? And then I bought some. But, you know, now I only wear black socks. And this whole thing, though, started, and I started getting so insecure, not about teaching, not about, like, the things that, you know, I was so much saying, not really about all that, because I love the criticism. And I love, like, talking about it and learning and growing. I got so insecure about my socks. And I got to thinking, what kind of person starts thinking about their socks when they're speaking on stage? And it began to hit me that there was something deeply rooted inside of me that was craving approval from people and wanted you not only to like me, there's all that, but think that, you know, that I was a good dresser or something. I don't know. And I don't even shop for myself. I don't even go look for clothes. But there was something in me that got insecure about that because I was craving approval from people about socks. Now, we do that in so many areas of our lives. You probably don't do that with socks. You probably do it with other areas. Like, some people think of it like this. Some people are insecure about their body, right? And they go work out all the time, which is okay. I think you should work out. I think you should take care of your body. We're actually going to talk about that. But if you look like this, I think you're good. You know, like, I think, I think you've got it down. I think you're doing a good job. Nobody's judging you. Maybe a little bit. You know, like, that sort of thing. Like, like, you're good, you know what I mean? But some people go to the gym, and they don't go to the gym to be healthy. They go to the gym because they want other people to look at them and go, wow, you know, have you been working out? You know, they want that. And there's this craving for approval in some of those areas. Now, we live in a selfie kind of culture, right? Everybody's taking selfies. Selfies aren't bad. You know, you got Snapchat. You make your face look like a puffy. It's all good things. But then there becomes a moment, though, and you know this, when people start to like your post. And all of a sudden, something begins to be released in your brain over and over and over again with every single like. You're just like, well, they love me, you know? And then you post a picture of your kid. Not that I ever do that. You post a picture of your kid, and then they like it. They're like, well. And then here's where it gets really weird, but you're a better person than me, so you never think this. It's like, I posted a picture of my kid. I got 70 likes. I posted a picture of me doing something. I got 12, you know? Like, what does that mean about me? All right, and the other one is this. I think this one's always fun. Like, when you think about your credit card, how many of you, like, come on, be honest, you're in church. Have you ever bought something less about the fact that you wanted or needed it, needed it but because you wanted other people to know you had it? Has anybody ever done that? Come on, be honest. I've done that, and you won't raise your hand. Well, maybe you will. Anybody? We just won't do that. Yeah, so I've done that all the time. You see people driving cars, and you're like, I love that you have that. Some people buy cars. It's always fun. They'll buy cars or lease cars just so their neighbor knows they can, you know? And there's this thing in our hearts where we want this status thing to kind of happen. The other one is this. We do this all the time when it comes to relationships. Like you've been dating and dating and dating, and then finally you found the perfect person, and you want everybody to know it, right? And so what happens in this relationship is you want everybody to know you found the perfect person, but what you're really doing is you are seeking the approval of the other person over and over and over and over again. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it begins to be difficult is when that appetite begins to get out of whack. Now, my favorite one is I played sports before I played that. Uh, and we used to travel a lot, play football, basketball, baseball, we'd travel, and we'd always see, like, the parents who are a little bit too into the game. You ever seen this? And here's what happens. This is always fun. Is you begin to seek approval from other people based off of the performance of your kid. 
We all know them, right? And all of a sudden, it's like the performance, like your kid scored a touchdown, and you watch the dad, and you think, he scored the touchdown, right? The dad's doing the high. You're like, what's happening? You know, like you're freaking out about this. And it's so fascinating because you're looking for approval from other people through your kids. Now, we all crave this approval idea. Every single one of us craves approval. And, and again, there are parts of approval that are good, but there are parts of it that can be bad. And uh, Rick Warren, who's a pastor out in California, uh, he, he, he writes about this college student that had written him about this idea of approval. There's this one line in this paragraph that I thought was so powerful uh, that I want to share with you. And so this is a college student writing to Rick Warren, and the college student said this. I'm tired of saying yes to people just because I'm afraid to say no. I'm tired of caring too much about what other people think about me. And I'm tired of being manipulated and used. But in many ways, it's my fault. And the second paragraph says this. Sometimes I feel that I don't even know who I am. I'm just, no, don't miss this. I'm a collection of the expectations of others. So powerful. Because if we were really honest, when you go to work, you have an expectation from your boss, and you want approval so you can feel significant. And there's something inside of us, for those of us who are married, or those of us who are dating, or you know, some of us who want to do that sort of thing. You know, there's that whole relational dynamic where you're seeking the approval of somebody else so that they can validate that you're enough to be loved. And I think my question that we really want to wrestle with a little bit today is this. What would it take for you to feel significant? Or let me put it this way. What would it take for you to feel fully and finally significant? What would it take for you to feel fully and finally adequate? And what would it take for you to feel fully and finally enough? What would that take? How many likes on Instagram would that take from you? How many times of your wife saying, you are good looking, is that going to take for you? How many people are you going to need to date? How many promotions will you need to get? At what position will you finally feel like you have enough control and you're significant enough? At what point will you get that kind of approval? Now, there's a guy uh, who is very uh, near and dear to my heart because I met with him several times, and he's just such a brilliant, brilliant guy. His name is Jack Wilson. Uh, Jack is kind of like our like staff counselor, and then he does so many other things. Uh, but he has such an interesting life because he was actually a sports counselor, so he would help athletes, professional athletes, kind of get through some of their things. And then, uh, and so for a while, he was even a PGA Tour caddy uh, for a golfer, which is so funny because he knows a lot about golf, but at the same time, he's really there to help this guy think through and process some of this. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted you to hear from an expert. I wanted you to hear from an expert who's going to talk about the, the, the physiological side of this a little bit, and then we're going to come back and talk about some of the spiritual components of it as well. But I want to hear from Jack for just a couple of minutes on what this looks like to crave approval and to chase after that. So let's watch this video together. So Jack, we're talking about cravings, uh, addictions in this series. How would you define that? I know you deal with this kind of stuff all the time in your own life. Sure. But obviously counseling people, how would you describe, define a craving that a person can't say no to? Well, a craving is both psychological and physiological. And when we, uh, when we get, whether it's craving for chocolate or craving for alcohol or craving for a controlled substance, we actually have kind of a physiological change, you know, in, in the whole mind-body system. Uh, and thinking about that, you know, visualizing it, you know, you've heard me say that 24 hours a day we're constantly talking to ourselves, both in words and in pictures. And when we have cravings, 
those show up as pictures in our brain, and a picture is worth what? A thousand words, right? You know. So when we picture the, you know, the object of our of our desire, or or at some point perhaps the object of our addiction, uh, then it basically overpowers the whole system uh, and makes us think about it you know, like in a compulsive. You can almost use compulsive and craving as sort of as synonyms. Now, how do I know, or how does a person know when a craving is good? and when it gets dangerous? Uh, whenever uh, a craving interferes with our ability to leave a normal, healthy, uh, relationship-centered life, then it's something we really ought to be giving some serious thought to. So let's say week one of this series, I struggle with your approval mm -hmm. and everybody's approval. Right. How can I test that to see if it's really determining how I feel. Okay. If you're struggling with approval, um, then you, you, there's a variety of different things that you want to do, but you want to begin having an attitude change, okay? Uh, because approval is an attitude. You know, and attitudes are incredibly powerful, okay? Uh, so if you have an attitude that I need somebody's approval, then st start thinking differently, start visualizing differently, um, but in that process, start kind of analyzing where did this come from? Um, you, know, you know, I'm really big on, on personality types and things like that, you know, and certain personality types are more likely to care about other people's attitudes, you know, so we want to start there. Uh, some people have been, uh, grew up in dysfunctional families uh, and they were not allowed to be who they really are. So they become very concerned about approval because they were trying to fake it without even knowing they were faking it because that was their environment. Uh, but they've not been allowed to express who they truly are. You know, so you start thinking in, in terms of kind of a, in, the, in the existential sense, who am I? You know, and if you grew up in a dysfunctional family that did not allow you to develop um, by trying things out, by making mistakes, by talking honestly about your emotions, um, then you're going to have to go through some of that. I love what Jack's talking about because he's talking about shifting your mindset, shifting the way that you think about things, and really paying attention to your heart. Like, how does my attitude really connect with approval? How do I make sure that I'm moving in the direction that I need to? And so uh, the writers in the New Testament actually talk about this kind of idea quite a bit. They talk about the appetites that we have. They talk about the struggles that we all face. And one of the writers who talks about it specifically is a guy named Paul. And I think Paul's writing on this is so fascinating because of who Paul was. Paul is a guy who is going in one direction. He, you know, he meets Jesus. His life just completely shifts and changes into a different direction. Uh, Paul ended up planting churches all over the ancient world. In fact, if you're here and you're not Jewish, right, you probably came to faith in some ways. We can connect it back to Paul because Paul took the message of the gospel uh, all, to all people in a lot of ways. And so Paul is a fascinating writer to look at on this because by all accounts, Paul would be kind of viewed as somebody who should have it together. He planted churches all over the place. He's kind of like this, you know, figure in Christendom. I mean, he's just a big deal. But when Paul writes about himself, there are times where Paul gets so vulnerable about his own struggle, and he gets so vulnerable about the forces at work in his mind and his heart that in some ways it stops us in our tracks and causes us to look inward. And so one of these passages is in a letter that he wrote to Rome, and, uh, or the churches in Rome, and he's writing in Romans chapter 7, and here's what he says. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, I want you to kind of think about how he talks about this idea. He says this. For in my inner being, 
So inside of me, these appetites, these thoughts, these, you know, mind things that I have going on, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me. I notice that there are two appetites, there are two desires, there are two directions that are both pulling almost at the same time, and I desire both. And then he goes on and says this. He says, they're waging war against the law of my mind and making me a, what's that word? Prisoner. They're making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now I love this, the waging war part. He could have used any kind of imagery that he wanted to, but the way that he talks about these two appetites is almost in this violent and aggressive way, which he'll continue on. There are these two appetites, waging war in my mind and in my heart and in my soul. Now, I grew up in a, you know, the types of churches that would have said, well, if you just prayed more, then it would have gone away. That you shouldn't have this struggle. But I'm like, well, Paul, he prayed, you know, like he had that. And that's important. But at the same time, it's not a switch that you turn on and off. That Paul begins to talk about things that are connected to this that we have to do. That we have this part of us that we need to be connected to this idea as well. So he's talking about being a prisoner. He's talking about being a slave in his mind. And again, he's getting after this idea that both appetites are craving more. And he goes on and says this. He says, what a wretched man I am. Now, I love this. Half the New Testament was written by Paul. Planted churches all over the ancient world. And he goes, what a wretched man. I am. What a sinner I am. He acknowledges the appetites and the issues and the problems and the suffering. It's connected to his heart. And then he asks a question that I think is foundational for every single one of us in the room. Whether a follower of Jesus or not, he says this. He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And the question under the question I think is this. Is freedom possible. That if I am constantly struggling with this war between the two appetites, that if inside of me there is this desire for both, is freedom possible? Who will rescue me? Back to the violence. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to the death? And then he gives the answer. He says this, thanks be to God. Who delivers me, and then there's the answer to the problem, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Now here's the beautiful part about Paul's writings in the New Testament. As you begin to read through this, what you discover is that Paul believes that freedom is possible through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And there's no amount of self-help books, there's no amount of steps, there's no amount of any of that where you really find what you need. Freedom is possible, but freedom is possible only through Jesus Christ. In fact, in other writings that he's going to teach on, he's going to teach on things that go, look, freedom is yours. Why won't you take the freedom that is yours? That if you are a son or a daughter of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been adopted into the kingdom by which Jesus came to establish, freedom is yours. And the underlying idea is take your freedom. That every chain that had held you is broken. You are no longer a captive. Take your freedom. And then he gives us our part of the equation, which I think is so incredible the way he says this. He says, those who live according to the sinful nature, have their minds set on what the nature desires. Here's our part. 
that those, even those who are followers of Jesus, who are held captive, have their minds set on what the nature desires or what that internal nature desires or that appetite desires. Their mind is fixed on the appetites that are leading them away. Even though the power of freedom is theirs, and he goes on and says this. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Paul's like, look, freedom is yours. Because Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. He took all of our sin on himself, all of our shame on himself, and he overcame all of it. Freedom is yours. So why would you spend your life focusing on the appetites that are going to pull you away from who you are? Because Jesus looks at you and says, son or daughter of God. Because Jesus looks at you and says, you have freedom. Because Jesus looks at you and says, you are mine. Why would you allow yourself to focus on the appetite that's pulling you away when you have the opportunity to focus on the appetite inside of you that's pulling you closer and closer to God's plan for your life? In fact, you could even ask it this way. Who are you going to give control to? Will you give control over and submission over to the Spirit of God, that appetite pulling you in the direction you need to? Or will you for your mind and your thoughts and the things that you dwell on. Give yourself to an appetite that's going to lead you somewhere you never wanted to go. And then Paul says this. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind, and I'll miss this, controlled, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. It's not you striving to be good enough. It's not you trying to get God's approval. It's not you trying to get the approval of everybody else. It's not you being good enough. It's you surrendering control of your life over, handing your thoughts over, handing your mind over, handing your heart and emotions and the deepest part of your human existence, being the soul, over to God. Saying, take all of my brokenness. I submit to you. My question for us in the room is, is this. Are you living for the approval of God? Are you living your life trying to get in good with God to be good enough or for the approval of others, trying to be good enough for others so that they look at you in the ways that you want? Or are you living from the approval of God? I don't want you to miss this. Because they seem like similar words, but those of us who constantly live our lives looking for the approval of others, even trying to get in with the approval of God, is ignoring the truth that the freedom is yours. That as a follower of Jesus, freedom is yours. And will you come to God with submission and say, here's my past and here's my brokenness and here's the things that I've kind of looked at in myself. But God, here's all of that. I give you control of my heart and my mind and my soul turn for the freedom that you've already given me that's really mine? Or will you allow yourself to continually be focused on the appetites that lead you away from God's best for your life? Now, I wanted you to hear this in the words of somebody who's really walked this road. Because some of you, when we start talking about approval, if you're honest, your heart kind of gets cracked open a little bit because you have stories like I have stories, but your stories may be more painful. Or you have stories like I have stories about your father. You have stories like I have stories about people who said a thing, and you can still quote the thing that they said. And it's caused you to spiral into this need for approval from other people. But I wanted you to hear from somebody 
who had that kind of past and those kinds of appetites and those kinds of struggles, decided to grasp at the freedom that was hers and choose to view her life as who she was as a child of God. Her name is Judy. Let's watch her story together. When I was young, I, I loved my mom. She was, a, she was just a gorgeous, really talented person, just beautiful. She didn't have any self-worth. She wasn't a Christian and um, had already been left from one husband. This was her second marriage. And um, I think she knew my dad was having affairs, and uh, she just did whatever it took. She was a June Cleaver during the day and a Marilyn Monroe at night. I watched that in her life, and I thought, well, if it worked for her, um, I guess the whole time I was, until I got married, I just thought that's what I would have to do. Eventually, I started getting interested in boys. I started dressing kind of seductively, and I didn't think I could get approval just for who I was. When I was 15, Johnny um, came into my life, he was uh, everything I ever wanted. I knew the minute I met him that I would never let him go. It wasn't even six months. We were having um, sex. And a lot of times, if he would want to take me home early or anything, um, that's, how I, that's how I would keep him. One night I came home after being out late in Johnny's car. And my father was up, he had been drinking, and he called me a slut. I guess if I, I thought that if anybody could spot one, he could, because of the way his life was. And uh, I never got his approval, I guess, or maybe I did. I don't know. I thought, maybe I thought women were supposed to be like that. And that that's all they were good for. Because that's the way you treated my mom. And um, that's the picture I had of myself. Eventually, Johnny and I did get married. I remember Johnny um, always saying to me, um, all I want from you is I want you to look good smell good, and take care of the children. That's all I ever thought about was uh, how I looked. And if he would even come home for lunch and I didn't have my makeup on or my lipstick on or something, he would say, are you sick? Don't you feel good? I couldn't really be myself. I could never be myself. I always had to wear a, uh, a mask. I didn't feel like I, I could ever just be who I was. I found a Playboy magazine under the mattress um, I got really mad, very angry. I felt very rejected, and I knew I had competition. One night, he, I had had a candlelight dinner all set for him. Um, the kids were tucked in bed, and he called and said he wouldn't be home because he had some other things that he had to do. By the time he got home, I was so angry. I went out, and I had an affair. Um, just a one-time affair. 
I couldn't believe that I had done that. I was, I came home and I told him, um, hoping that he would show some kind of concern, but he didn't. He just, he let me know that he really didn't care. About three months later, I found out I was pregnant. And then we were really scared. Uh, I knew that it wasn't my husband's baby. I went and had an abortion. And uh, one of the reasons I had the abortion was so that nobody would know what I did. That I had been unfaithful. I wanted to hide it. I didn't want my children ever to know that I wasn't the perfect mother, um, a perfect wife. I decided one night that I couldn't live with myself anymore for what I'd done. So I was standing in the bathroom and considering taking my life and the phone rang at three in the morning. It was my twin sister. What she told me was that an angel woke her up and said to call me because I was in trouble. So I remember hanging up the phone, going in my living room and praying to God, if you're real, please show me. So three weeks later, we went to a Billy Graham crusade. It was like he knew my story. There were 75,000 people there. And the first scripture he quoted was about the adulterous woman. And I remember him saying that Isaiah 118 said that as even though your sins are red as scarlet, that he would wash you as white as wool, that he would forgive you. It was news I never knew. I had no idea that God was like that. I thought God was like my dad, that he was um, angry all the time, and I should be scared of him. I went to the altar and asked Jesus into my heart, because that's what I wanted. I wanted forgiveness. I wanted to, he said I could be made brand new. I remember going home, and I saw myself as a completely different person. I was just totally free to be who I wanted to be, and it wouldn't matter who got mad at me if I, <laughs> if I didn't, you know, act the way they wanted me to act. All that mattered is that what God thought of me, even though I knew mercy and grace from God, I still didn't have that mercy and grace for Johnny. I put a lot of blame on him for my actions. He visited a church that I was attending. And um, again, the evangelist was preaching his story and he got saved. I saw a change in Johnny that was incredible. After the Billy Graham crusade, I found out that I was pregnant. I just couldn't believe that God would allow me, would trust me to be a mom again after what I'd done, that he would really trust me. So for the next nine months, I was scared to death. So the day came when I went to the hospital and delivered the baby. And the nurses and the doctors kept looking at me saying, Judy, look at your baby. He's just a beautiful baby boy. And I didn't want to look because of that fear of punishment. And I finally looked at my child John Dempsey stole, and that's when I really saw mercy and grace. I couldn't believe it, that God would give me this beautiful baby, gave me beauty for ashes. I just um, thank God every day.
in a crowd size that we have in here. Uh, and you know, we had another service as well. The likelihood of some of us in the room who have experienced that kind of brokenness and pain is very real. Some of you walked in here and nobody in this room knows your whole story. No one in this room knows the baggage that you've carried. No one in this room knows the sin that you've had in the past. No one in this room knows what you're even currently doing. Your spouse may not even know. And what you've done is, is you've allowed yourself, as Paul is talking about, to focus on appetites that have led you down a path that you never intended to go on. The path that you never wanted to experience. And you've been craving approval for other people for as long as you can remember. Now, the, the danger in this, I think, isn't even the path that you're on, and it's not even the appetite that you have. I think the danger in it is that some of you have allowed yourself to be labeled by your sin, to be labeled by the sin that someone else committed that affected your life. Some of you have been allowed yourself to be labeled by the way you view yourself or the lack of approval that you felt or the inadequacy that you live with. And I think the deeper heart problem with that is that you've allowed yourself to be labeled by someone who can't label you. You can't label you. The other people really can't label you. You've allowed that label into your heart and your life. The only one that can label you. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, the only one that, that labels us is the one who designed us. It's Jesus when he came and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave and he overwhelmed sin. And he overpowered the forces and effects of sin in our lives. That you've accepted a label that said you're not enough, or that you're not significant. You're inadequate. And the whole time, Jesus is looking at you saying, no. That's just a chain that you've allowed to be attached to yourself. That's broken already. Take it off. Because the one who designed me is the only one that can the one who had a plan for you before you were ever born. The one who knew all about you. Who knows your thoughts and, and, and the moments when you've struggled and had the most pain and done the most terrible things. And still pursued you and ran after you. He says you're enough. He says you're mine. And the beautiful part about the writings of the New Testament, the beautiful part about the people who knew Jesus, is he ran to the brokenness and he ran to the suffering and he said, come to me, you are enough. Come to me, you are mine. And the God of the universe knows the whole universe, but at the same time knows every hair on your head and says, I love you with an unconditional and never-ending Typically, we give like practical applications to that, that sort of thing, and, I, and those are important. But to kick off the series, what I want you to know are three statements to shape your thinking on this. And it's easy just to read them on the screen, and it's easy just to pass this moment by, but some of you, I want you to look at every single word and let it grip your heart. First one is this, that you are not a slave approval of other people. 
You're not a slave to the approval of your father. You're not a slave to the approval of your boss. You're not a slave to the approval of your spouse. You're not a, a slave to the approval of every mommy blog who tells you you're not enough. You're not a slave to other people who judge you. You're not a slave to the approval of other people. You're not. Second one is this. You are enough to receive unconditional love. You're enough. And the reason that you're enough is because Jesus took all of that on himself. You are enough to receive unconditional love. You're enough for the God of the universe to see only you and say, I love you and you're mine. And the last one is this, and, and some of us have heard this since the time we were three, four, five, six years old, but we've never like heard it and let it take root in our heart and our mind. And I feel like I know this sounds odd. If, if every person in this room understood this and every person in Traverse City understood this, I wouldn't have a job. You know, I'd go somewhere. I'd do something else. Because it's that powerful of a truth and you really let it sink in and take root. And that's this. That you are a child of God. Paul writes about adoption. Paul writes about co-heirs with Christ. Your past matters, but it doesn't dictate the fact that you're a child of God. And that your current sin matters, but it doesn't dictate the fact that you're a child of God. And that you have the capacity and I have the capacity to reach out and accept the freedom that only comes through Christ. And to remind ourselves that because we are sons and daughters of the God of the universe, we are enough. Because he says we're enough. So the question for us is, will you live for the approval of God, or will you live from it? Will you be chasing after it, or will you decide that I'm going to live from it and allow my life to be wrapped into that? Now, we're going to end with a song that's one of my favorite songs, and it's one of my favorite songs because the lyrics, I think, just point so deeply to the heart of who God is and what he wants for us. I was thinking, like, how do we illustrate this song? And uh, so we picked this song earlier, you know, early in the week, and, and then I think it was two nights ago, maybe last night, uh, Emily was here working, I was here, and our little boy, he's like, you know, 20 months old, 20 months, 20 months old, uh, was here. I should know that off the top of my head. And I'm watching, uh, we're actually in that room back there, and I'm watching uh, a, a message on TV, and he's kind of playing around on the floor. Uh, 20 months old, and he like, walks up to me, and he has this thing now where he takes both hands and grabs my face and turns my face to him and pulls me close, right? So I'm like, oh, that's cute, you know. Then as I'm looking at him, he's done. He wraps his arm around mine, he puts his hat on my shoulder, and now we're watching the preacher together, you know. And so after a few seconds, I'm like, well, this is over. This is great. Oh, I'm going to watch again, you know. So I'm watching, and not five seconds go by. And he gets a little bit more frustrated this time, like he can beat me up. I think he thinks that. And then he looks at me, and he grabs my face again, and he turns it, and he pulls it close, and he stares at me for a second. Because at 20 months old, he already desires approval. And he's looking for approval from me. And at 30 years old, I know that I will never be able to give him the approval that he needs. I will never have enough attention. I will never have enough words. I will never be able to satisfy fully and finally that desire. But as I thought about that, the peace that comes over me in that moment is knowing there is a heavenly father 
who is already looking. That he doesn't have to grab the face of God and pull it close and pull it in. That God is already looking and he sees and he's already present. That God isn't waiting for us to grab his face and pull it close. He's simply asking us to open our eyes and see that he's been there the whole time. And that he says that we're enough and that we're adequate. And that we can experience unconditional love that only comes through him. So the song that we're going to end with is a song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the verse of this which I never read before this week, this particular verse, it says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And the part that we're going to sing today, and I'm going to ask you to sing, every single one of us over the next few minutes, we're going to sing this together, one massive choir singing this, it says this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand, and I want to pray over you, and uh, I want to pray over us, and then Annie and Megan are going to come, they're going to lead us in this song, and we're going to sing a song called No Longer Slaves. And over these next few minutes, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, you call Kensington home, here's what I'm going to ask you to do for the next couple minutes. I'm going to ask you... Uh, just to kind of be a participant in this. And really just as one choir, even if you're a bad singer, bad singers in the room, we'll be in this together, right? But I'm going to ask you to sing this out because I think there's something sacred about a group of people singing that kind of truth. Uh, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's okay if you don't want to sing, but I'm going to ask you just to pay attention so closely as these words come by and to the moment that's about to happen. And pay attention to that crack in your heart that I feel like is probably open and what that means for you. So let me pray, and then we'll sing this together. Father, um, I know every single one of us probably deal with this approval thing at some level, especially me. God, it's so easy uh, to just move so quickly through life and not deal with this and to ignore the appetites that we have and to pursue appetites that we shouldn't, specifically on approval. But God, I pray for every single one of us in the room, and I ask that over these next few moments that you would solidify this in our heart for those of us who have been living to try to get your approval or living for your approval God I ask that you would just help us to stop and just turn and face you and know that you're there the person in the room who's been resisting you for a long time and they came today and they came with all their walls and they came with all of their reasons why they shouldn't and they came with all of their angst they've discovered over the last several minutes that some of that's been broken down God I just ask that in these moments, you would help them to be so open to what you might say to them and what you might want to do. And God, I ask for all of us that we would learn to live from your approval, from your love, and from who you call us to be, from the label that you've given us, and that you would allow us to experience the freedom that comes from that. In Jesus' name we pray.
unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone.
day like this hits everybody a little bit differently. And so what I wanted to do is I did want to give you one practical kind of action step this week. Some of you, you're like, that's me. It's like, how did you know you're talking directly to me? Like one of those things. And here's what I would tell you. I think one of the best things that you could do is as Paul talks about shifting our mindsets and making sure we're focused on the right things, you just, you need to tell yourself what we talked about today over and over and over and over again. And so we're going to be posting those three points online. You can grab them there if you want. But I think what you could do is you could take those three points or maybe take one of them or two of them, whatever really applies to you, write on a note card and put it somewhere where you're going to see it this week. So you need to have that in your car. You need to have that on your mirror. So you need to have that at the office like next to a picture of your boss, whatever that is, you know. Um, I might get weird, you know, but, you know, something, you know, where you just remind yourself. And I think it's that idea that I am a child of God. I'm going to live from his approval and not just for it. And, uh, and so for others of you, you're like, hey, I'd love to talk to somebody today. And so we, we have a prayer team that's going to be up here in front. We'd love to connect with you, love to talk to you, love to pray with you, whatever's going on uh, in your life from there. And the last thing I want to tell you about, if it's your first time and you're like, I want more information, like this is fun or this has been a cool environment, but I'd like to know more about your church, uh, you can go to startingpoint.today, let us, give us your information, we'll reach back out to you this week, or you can go right out in the lobby and, uh, and you can meet some of our team out there. We'd love to connect with you out there and give you some more information. Uh, next week, we're talking about addiction, so I wanted to let you know that, but addiction that applies to every single one of us. I think all of us would find ourselves kind of addicted to something that might be unhealthy at different variables and different levels. Uh, We're going to talk about that next week. So I would tell you this, come next week, uh, but also bring someone with you next week. Most of us know somebody who needs to hear that talk, uh, and we'd love for you to come back and join us next week. So thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you right back here for part two of Crave uh, next Sunday. See you soon. Hey, and thanks so much for joining us uh, online. And hey, I wanted to get Patrick. <laughs> hey, thanks for your message today, Patrick. Really, uh, I think it just hits it hits all of us in different levels. But uh, for that person who is like kind of struggling with, I threw you off because I punched you, and all the you viewers there are laughing at home. I know they're all sorry. laughing. Sorry, you had a good question though. You sorry. have you're stronger than you look. So. <laughs> No one would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Use your question. Sorry. No, but yeah. just, yeah, really, if, if you're struggling with approval, right. uh, what are those next steps? You, you hinted at it, uh, yeah. but what are those steps that you could take to sure. really break past how that has control of your life? You know, one thing that I didn't say in the talk that I think is so important, um, and so this is kind of like special content for those yeah. online, but I think one of the best things you can do, um, and I know this sounds odd, but it's like to start and acknowledge that you deal with it. You know what yeah. I mean? Sometimes we don't, uh, we might acknowledge that we struggle with approval, but we don't have a name to it. I think one of the best things that you could ever do, somebody told me this a long time ago, is that you put a name to the person who you're looking for approval from, all of a sudden that kind of releases some of the, the hold that it has on you. Sure, yeah. uh, and so I would say find somebody that you trust and then kind of talk to them about that. Some of you need to be a counselor, some of you need to go to counseling for that. Some of you have a best friend or sister or brother, somebody. And you just need to have that conversation and say, I struggle with approval from 
and then you fill in the blank and then talk about that. I think that's a big first step. Um, but then I think, you know, really kind of off of what Paul was teaching you know, through the scriptures, I think one of the best things you can do is constantly remind yourself of who you are. And, you know, I do that as much as I can throughout the week. I require that in my life a lot. Like, I need to be re- reminded of who I am and what I'm living from yeah. um, just to kind of help kind of stay on track. But I think if you acknowledge it, and then if you figure out a way to keep it in front of you, again, note cards, some people, the iPhone backgrounds, I don't know. There's a lot yeah, of ways to do that, right. but some of those would be, I think, helpful. So. Cool. Yeah, sorry I punched you. Yeah, you enjoyed well, that. You're not, you're not sorry. Yeah, also. I'm kind of not really. Yeah, anyways, <laughs> hey, thanks so much for watching. <laughs> See well, we do hope that you were not only uh, challenged but encouraged by today's message. And we'd love for you to uh, take part of a service in person. Hey, if you're in Traverse City or Metro Detroit, even in Orlando, Florida. We'd love to see you in person at one of our Kensington campuses. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you can find out more about what's going on here at our campus locally and what we're doing around the world globally. So, all right, thanks again, and we'll see you soon.